I grew up on 12 acres. We lived out in the country and down the property line, there was a dirt path. And I'll never forget the day as a middle schooler, I think I was about 14, my dad uh, brought home a dirt bike. It was a Kawasaki dirt bike. Man, I was excited. We had to do some restoration to it, but it was a great uh, uh, father-son project. I learned a lot about carburetors. We got it running. Now, I wasn't driving yet, and so my dad had to teach me, you know, one down, four up, for those of you that ride, you know what I'm talking about, and, uh, you know, the clutch on the left hand, as I was figuring it out, and I got in first gear, and I had a successful launch, and man, I just ripped down that dirt path, and I was so excited. I, I genuinely remember that first ride. And on the way back, uh, as I was making my approach back to the yard, my dad was there and he was, he was happy, but he was also kind of waving me down. And I said, what? He said, Mark, you stayed in first gear the whole time. Uh, you know how sometimes your car just like red lines if you, if you have it in the wrong gear, if you don't shift? That's what it was like. And I'm surprised I didn't blow anything in that bike in that one trip that we had, we had just restored that bike. You know, just like just the whole way. He's like, Mark, there's like four more gears. You'll have way more fun. There's so much more that the bike has to offer you. And so when we read the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, specifically chapters 12 through 14, it helps give us some context. They didn't have a dirt bike, but what they did have was these things called the spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts were for the church, and the church is something new. And the church in Corinth was so excited about the gift of tongues, they were just like over-spiritualizing and abusing it. And Paul's saying, guys, 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 there's so much more. And I believe that as we just dive into chapter 14 today, as we come to the last message of our series, Against All Odds, that we can not only see what Paul was trying to tell the church in Corinth, but we can also just glean some helpful wisdom for us. And then at the end, hopefully just be left with a very challenging question that could make a significant impact in our life. So let's go ahead and let's dive in. 1 Corinthians 14. So if you have a Bible, open it up. Maybe you have a physical Bible like me. Maybe you have a, a digital version on your phone or other device. Let's go ahead and open it up. 1 Corinthians 14. This is a very complex passage. And Paul gives a lot of time explaining the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And so for our time today, we're just going to use the first five verses to, to, to give us a window into what Paul was telling them and what the scriptures are telling us today. So here we go. First Corinthians chapter 14 says this, follow the way of love, verse one, and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. So verse one, Paul is just kind of summing up verses 12 and 13. He says, follow the way of love. This is the love of Christ. This is what chapter 13 is all about, the love chapter in the Bible, right? First Corinthians 13. 
And he says, uh, uh, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And this is just chapter 12. He says, hey, there's so much more here for, to, to offer. There's so many other gifts than the one that you are using. You're kind of stuck in first gear here, guys. And by the way, like they all fit together. They're significant. There's this body of Christ, the hands, the ears, the eyes, the feet. All of it have significance. All the gifts have significance. That's verse one. So here we go, especially prophecy. So he's diving in with them. Verse two, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to God, to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, but they utter mysteries by the spirit. Paul wastes no time just diving in. Uh, Paul is going to tell them, hey guys, look, I know you love the gift of tongues, but you're using it in the wrong way. There's a right way to use it. Uh, This is uh, later on, he says this, he says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And and why is that? Well, he, he gives further explanation down in verse 23. So if one speaks in tongues and inquirers or believers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? That you're, you're, you must be crazy, and Paul's not mincing words here. This is, this is true. This happens. A good friend of mine uh, who just was an atheist for a season of his life before uh, just becoming an atheist, uh, he recalls an experience where he was just giving church one last try. And he entered in and they were speaking in tongues. And his words, he said, Mark, I thought they were crazy. This is ridiculous. I don't want anything to do with this. Paul's not mincing words here. And so he's telling the church in Corinth, hey, I'm glad you had the gift of tongues, but this isn't the right place to use it. It's for private worship, not public worship. And if you think uh, that Paul might be saying, you know, the gift of tongues is not valid or it's not a good gift, well, don't think that either. Because in verse five, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And then in verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And then as he ends the chapter, he says, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. Paul is edifying the gift in that it is valid and that it is good. But he's just saying, look, there's a right way to use it and there's an unhelpful way to use it. Verses six through 12, he just kind of gives these three analogies, one of like a lifeless thing, one, another one of a trumpet in a, in, a, in a war, in a battle context, and then third, just in different languages. And the whole point behind these illustrations is just that it's not helpful, it's unintelligible. And so we need understanding. And so this is why he's comparing prophecy and tongues when it comes to corporate worship. So we read verse one, we read verse two. Let's jump to verse three. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their what? For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now, let's be honest. The gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues can both, uh, both those gifts, depending on your background, they can both be a little mysterious. (laughs) Even make us uneasy at times. Because... Maybe we've heard of bad examples or perhaps we've experienced some just bad examples and abuse of one of the gifts. 
like prophecy, like someone in our group was just sharing with us the other week in our small group saying, yeah, I remember when I was single and this woman came up to me and said, I have a word from the Lord for you. You're going to marry my son. Well, that clearly didn't come true and it kind of freaked her out a little bit. So some of us have had these negative examples, but we need to be careful with those because that doesn't mean they're not good gifts of the Spirit. When prophecy is done well, it will what? It will strengthen, it will encourage, and it will edify. And so if you have the gift of prophecy, I just want to encourage you uh, to fight the urge to maybe throw it at somebody. You know, the phrase, I have a word from God for you, uh, and maybe just offer it as a gift. Yeah, the spiritual gifts are a gift in the first place, so just offer it as a gift. Hey, uh, I don't know why necessarily, but I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to just tell you this. And you just offer it as a gift so that they can discern whether or not it's true, whether or not they need to, to heed those words. Paul talks about this later in chapter 14 when he says, you know, the gift of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And then in, in Thessalonians, it says this, First uh, Thessalonians says, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but what? But test them. Test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. And Paul's just saying, look, when you give the gift of prophecy, just test it. So offer it up as a gift. You know, a great example of how the gift of prophecy can be used well is if you generally just feel that the Spirit's prompting in your life to give someone you know a call. And you just, you're on the phone with them and you say, I don't know why I feel led to call you right now, but I just feel led to tell you. And you share an encouraging word with them. And some of you, you you've shared these examples. And on the other end, the person receiving that phone call just breaks down in tears saying, you have no idea how I needed that word right now. What were you doing? You were strengthening, you were encouraging, you were comforting. This is the gift of prophecy at work. So that's verse one, verse two, verse three sums up everything kind of in verse four. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. In other words, it's for, it's for personal worship. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. It builds the church. And he's gonna expound more upon that. In verse five, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that what? So that the church may be edified so the church may be so that the church may be built up uh now i just like to pause here and uh just play a short game with you if you will just just play along have you ever noticed your favorite song or maybe your favorite piece of literature uh there's often what sometimes is referred to as as a hook but there's just these uh, short uh, phrases or the smallest division of musical notes in music specifically, it's called a, a motif. And it gives the song or the piece of art an identity. It's recognizable. Uh, here's an example of a great motif. Let's listen. <laughs> Some of you are humming 
the rest of that song. Do you know who it is? And we're like, I know it's old. It's like Mozart or Beethoven. Well, if you said Beethoven, uh, you'd be correct. It's, it's his fifth symphony. And he really helped establish this idea of a motif of these short musical notes. Dun, 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 right? It just repeats itself again and again and again. And, and not to belabor this, but just to have a little fun, let's do one more example. This is for the kids, maybe the students, definitely the young parents in the room. I should apologize, but I'm definitely not going to. Let's listen to this and see if you can recognize the tune. Uh, Stop singing the lyrics. So you know exactly what that is. It's Pink Fong's uh, Baby Shark, right? Actually one of the most listened to and watched songs in the world. But those, just those few notes um, as you sing Baby Shark, you know, it's just so recognizable. You'll never hear those notes the same way again. This is a motif. When Paul's writing to the church, he has a motif. He has this theme that he brings to them again and again and again and again. First in chapter 12, verse 7, and then by the time we get to chapter 14, it's just riddled through the chapter. And it's just the motif of build the church. Now your version may use the word edify, but it's the same word of building. The process is activity of building. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the spiritual gifts, he says this in Ephesians. He says it is to, what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be, what? May be built up. Even to the church of Corinth, he doesn't wait till chapter 12 to introduce this whole idea. He actually does it all the way back in chapter 3. And chapter 3 says this, for we are co-workers in God's service. Again, this whole idea of laboring together with God. You are God's field. In other words, we are like an active agent in what God is doing. God is using us to grow something beautiful, to grow something beneficial. You are what? You are God's, God's building to build the church. Building the church was important to Paul. All the letters that we have in the New Testament, where were they written? They were written to the local church. And why was the local church important to Paul? Because the local church was important to Jesus. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, by the way, it's the virtue of Peter's confession because the foundation of the church is Christ, not a person. And it's our confession in Christ in which we can build on the cornerstone of Christ. But on this rock, I will build my what? I will build my church. Christ was passionate about the church and we have to catch up to this reality. We have to catch up to this truth because for many of us, like church can be a dirty word sometimes because of our past experiences. And the church is the single organization, the single institution, if you will, the single gathering of people around one common cause, which is bringing ourselves under the authority of Scripture so that we can become more devoted followers of Christ as we love and serve one another. That will never go away. In fact, when COVID came and and, and businesses are in peril, we must never worry about the church because the rest of that verse in 16 
in uh, chapter 16, verse 18 says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church was not a startup in someone's garage that is at the whims of the economy. The church is not the result of a benevolent family that started a foundation that someday might go away because it's just a nonprofit meeting a need and that need might go away someday. The church is founded on Christ. He is our cornerstone. The church is his plan for this world for us to become more devoted followers of Christ. The church isn't going away. Jesus cared greatly about the church. Paul cared greatly about the church. We should care greatly about the church. So how do we build the church? How do we do it? Well, I'd like to just uh, note a, a passage of scripture in Hebrews to maybe help us understand. So, okay, Mark, I get it. We have these tools. They're not trophies, they're tools to build the church. And it's important that we build the church. So how do we use our tools to build the church? Let's look at this passage of scripture together in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 24, it says, and let us consider how we may what? How we may spur one another on toward what? Toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. At Door Creek Church, we use three words. In a way, it's kind of our discipleship plan and how you become a more devoted follower of Christ, how I can become a more devoted follower of Christ. And the three words, gather, grow, and give. And, you know, gather has taken on a whole new context now that we're gathering online as well as gathering in person. But that's just this, right? Not giving up, meeting together. And Door Creek Church has never given up on meeting together. Whether we're meeting online or in person, we are never giving up meeting together because gathering together is just such an important part of becoming a devoted follower of Christ. Growing in a group. The second one is putting yourself in the circle of other people who are trying to be more like Christ as you're trying to be more like Christ. And we're on the same journey, but in different places. And we can what? I love the way this verse puts it. We can spur one another on. And I love this idea of spurring one another. Obviously, it's motivating. It's encouraging. But I can't get the, the visual out of my head of like a cowboy with a spur on his boot. And he's just, you know, come on, let's go. We spur one another on to love and good works. We gather together, we grow together, and we give of ourselves with our money, with our time, with uh, our abilities, with our resources, all of it. It was just to love and to do good works. I love this passage of scripture because I feel like it helps us see how gather, grow, and give just kind of fit together in a very succinct way. This is how we can build a church. And first of all, you need to know what your spiritual gifts are. If you haven't taken the assessment yet on our website, go to our website, take the assessment, find out what your gifts are so you know what tools you're working with. And once you know what tools you're working with, man, just faithfully gather on the weekend, online or in person. Man, just bring yourself again and again and again to just a circle of people as you grow together in a group. And groups have all different shapes and sizes. And we go to great lengths to, to try and provide lots of opportunities for you to grow in a group. We're going to have another what we call group up in not too, not too long. And some of you are like, I don't like my group. Well, then get out of it. 
There's a lot of people at Door Creek Church. Find a group that you can grow in here at Door Creek Church and give of yourself just again and again and again. It's the monotony of these things that we actually find the greatest beauty of when sometimes they're exciting and sometimes man, they're just not that exciting. <laughs> but it's just this faithfulness in bringing ourselves again and again, it's just to gather, to grow, and to give, where God will help us understand the tools that he's given us and how to use them to build his church. So I want to catch up with the Corinthian church in chapter 14, because there's a verse that gives us an important understanding of the context in which Paul is writing. That'll be helpful as we close our time today. So in chapter 14, in verse 12, it says this. He says, since you are. Now this is important because in verse 1 it says eagerly, but in verse 12 it says since you are, which means they are eager. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Now, I got five kids at home. And uh, you don't need five kids to experience this, but it's at a whole new level when you do have five kids. Man, they love being kids. And sometimes they're just being kids. And Cassie and I are like, you know what? Why don't you be kids outside, <laughs> not inside? Like even in the snow, right? So it's like, let's put on some snow gear. Let's be kids outside not inside, right? We don't want to prevent them from being kids. We don't want to kind of squash their joy, we, but we do want to redirect it sometimes. When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he doesn't want to squash their joy. He doesn't want to squash their passion, but he does want to redirect it in a much more productive and helpful way. And some of us, some of you, man, you have this passion. And you are eager. And it's been so encouraging over the last year to hear these stories just bubbling up through groups and popping up online and coming through all the different channels that we have in our relationships here at Door Creek Church. How some of you have the gift of mercy. And for those that have been hurting, you've, you've just been truly been able, God's gifted you to just be merciful to someone who, who needs mercy in their life so they can feel God's love and God's comfort in an important way when they need it. You've done that. Some of you, I love this gift because it's not one of my top ones, but, but I do try to work on it. It's the gift of helps. And you're just like the first one out the door. Oh, this is a need? I'm there. What do you need? Well, we'll take care of it. We got it. And this is seen in a lot of different ways from, from having food, uh, food uh, you know, chains and meal chains kind of things for, for people who maybe lost a loved one in the past year. Someone who needs something built or help with their car, whatever it may be, you just have the gift of helps and you're there. There are so many of you like that and it's awesome to see. There's others of you, and this is one that just, it doesn't get talked about as, as much. You're the gift of discernment. And in a year where there's been so much confusion and unknown, God's used you in a very significant way with friends and with family in this church to just be discerning in the whatever they, may de whatever they may be dealing with in their life. 
And so I believe that there are those of us here at Door Creek Church, it is happening, that we are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, that we are passionate about building the church. Uh, But the question remains for the rest of us. Could Paul have written verse 12 to you? Could Paul have said, since you are eager? Could Paul have said, try to excel, so just redirect your passion? And as much as there are so many good things happening, and as much as God is moving through so many people, and as much as there are those of you who are truly passionate for the local church, and eager for the gifts of the Spirit and to build up the church, I do believe there are also plenty of us watching right now, we just genuinely need to take a moment to pause and reflect. Could that verse be written to me right now? Sometimes in life, there are situations that we cannot control and we cannot change. You see, often we're very active in maintaining our context, maintaining the situation that we're in. And this is okay. This is good. We want healthy rhythms. We want consistency in life. But sometimes something comes along that disrupts our situations so much that it cannot change and it forces us to change. Someone who just said this very clearly and very well is a guy named Viktor Frankl. And he was a Holocaust survivor and he wrote a book, The Meaning of Man. And in that, he says this. He says, when we are no longer able to change the situation, we are, I love that he uses the word challenged. We're challenged to change ourselves. And in the context in which he's writing, you know, it's motivating. Like, hey, we can rise above our circumstances. We don't have to be victims of our circumstances. But the opposite is true. And look, pre-COVID, there was already a distrust of the church, especially like with my generation, the millennials. Pre-COVID, the church is already a source of pain for a lot of people, which is so sad because the church should be a source of love and peace and comfort and strengthening and encouragement. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were already wrestling with this consumeristic mentality as we walk through the church doors. Uh, Is it the coffee I like? Will I get the seat I like? Is it going to be the music I like? Uh, you know, will my kick at the teacher I like? Is the pastor going to preach in a way that I like? It was just this consumer mentality. And we were all faced with a situation that was not going to change. But we did. We did change. We had to change in some ways for the better and in other ways Maybe not. These things that I just talked about, you know, distrust in the church and pain in the church. This last season we went through, through the racial and social justice tension. Uh, It didn't help everybody the way that it should have. Our habits that we developed during that time weren't all for the better. The consumeristic mentality that we had like pre-COVID, that didn't necessarily get less consumeristic uh, once COVID hit. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that we can offer our services on demand now, and I love that we've been able to change for the better to reach even more people. But I'm just being honest as well, going, it's interesting when I got feedback from one person very early on, why can't I watch the service at 6 a.m. on Sunday? I want to watch the service at 6 a.m. on Sunday. Why aren't you guys doing on demand? It's just like, whoa, 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 time out. We changed. We changed. Could 1 Corinthians 14, 12 be true of us today? Are we eager? Now, here's the hope that we have. I don't want us to feel guilty here. I want us to see the hope that we have. Because unlike a personality test, which is just stagnant and stuck to who we are, and we can kind of grow and, right, we can function in other parts of our personality, but we have a core personality. There's a reason why in the writings to to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, we read the words, fan into flame. Now you can only fan into flame something that is living and something that is active. Fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. You see, unlike a personality test or a skill that we've developed that can easily be taken away with just an accident or an injury, uh, the Holy Spirit can never be taken away from us. The Holy Spirit is greater than any circumstance that we have. The Holy Spirit is greater than any inability we have. And when we become sons and daughters of Jesus, when we become heirs to the kingdom, we are given the Holy Spirit. And when we have the gifts of the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. And so even when we find ourselves in a season where like we're stuck in first gear, man, we can fan into flame the gift that God has given us. And we can remember and we can recall our passion for the local church. We can remember and recall how important it is to build one another up, to build the church. This can happen. Can you imagine how different our community would be if we would just fan into flame our spiritual gifts and actually know them and use them in our community even more than we're doing now. And I I think I'm so grateful to be in a church that is so active in the community, but imagine how much more so we could do it. And now what about in our church? Because we can't be Christ's hands and feet in the community if we're not Christ's hands and feet to each other in the church First, where we're encouraging each other and coming under the authority of God's word and learning and being convicted and growing together. Like the church above any organization should be the one place where we truly find love, where we truly find belonging. Like that is possible. That is happening with so many here and yet it could happen with to an even greater degree. What about at home? in our marriages or in our families, if you're single with those closest to you. Like Cassie and I, like we know our personalities. We talk about them all the time. They come up, especially like if there's conflict, like, oh, okay, you know, I get it. Like, you know, whatever. I've just been convicted in just this series. Like, why isn't the spiritual gift something we talk about more in our marriages? Like imagine how much more encouraging conversations would be. And you come home from work and you're able just to share not just a win, but you're actually able to share how it was God moving through you and your spiritual gifts that made it happen. 
Perhaps you're on the phone with family or friends or on Zoom or you're, or you're actually with them and you have a greater understanding that you have a spiritual gift and you can, you can encourage each other in that way. I did that with our small group. I, it's like what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is just be really focusing on how we can use our spiritual gifts in our marriage. And so we're in the series Against All Odds. And that does not need explanation. And there's so much working against us, but we must have, understand that we have the Holy Spirit. And that against all odds, man, nothing can stop the church. Not even the gates of hell can stop the church. And like Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and like that middle school boy who had just hopped on his motorbike for the first time, some of us were just stuck in first gear. And we need to be reminded that our goal with spiritual gifts is to build the church. And like my father told me, our heavenly father is just looking at us and just, he's just wanting us to know there is so much more. Let's pray together. So heavenly father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of the church. Thank you that we can be a part of this local body of believers. And I just pray you'd help us, no matter where we're at in life right now, just to heed those words in 2 Timothy, just fan the flames. Fan the flames. Help us to be more eager. Help us to be eager for the spiritual gifts so that we can build the church, so that we can lovingly serve each other. And if we can do that well, there's so much more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.